welcome to Zero Fucks Given. Um, my name is Krista DeLuca. Joining me today is Carson Block, the founder of Muddy Waters, and his partner, Freddie Brick. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Yeah? I'm okay. Um, are you a little jet lagged? No, I'm a little concerned that before we were discussing this, you were saying like, yeah, we're like Batman and Robin, and it's very clear who Robin is in that equation. So jet lag's fine, concerned about being thought of as Robin, but beyond that, I, just, I can push through. What do you mean? What What do you mean by that? Why are you concerned about that? I mean, he's, we, a, he's like a good gymnast, flexible. <laughs> <laughs> we all know what the subtle subtext of the Batman and Robin relationship was. I did was. not know. I always thought you were Batman, you were Robin, and like you were like, so, so to me, the saddest corollary in Batman, the, the TV show, is Adam West, who was the actor. I remember in the 90s and early 2000s, that dude was on commercials late at night that you know I only saw because I was waking up from being passed out on the sofa. And he's, he's like slurring his speech. And he's pitching public internet access terminals. <laughs> Really? Like, yeah, like the guy clearly had no idea how to, you know, like even use a rotary phone, you know, and just like talking about <laughs> terminals and shit. But yeah, it was pretty sad. Like, so it's, you know, to, to see one of, you know, oh, how the mighty have fallen. He was Batman, man. Like Robin used to go down on that dude. Like that's how wrong. <laughs> Not that there's hence, anything wrong with that. That's my, my concern about being Robin in the Batman and Robin okay, configuration. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, sorry. It's okay. I mean, I, I thought I, I always, when I met him, I thought it was a little questionable. At least his name but, wasn't Rob Zinn. <laughs> uh, anyway. But, um, so you're back two weeks? Yeah, from back Vietnam. from Vietnam, which was really cool. I actually, I had such a good time. And I'm so excited about the opportunity that, like, as I hear myself telling it, I hate myself. I actually imagine that, like, this is probably how Anthony Bolton first sounded when he came back from China. He was like, oh, there's chuffing amounts of growth over there. And I met Chairman Chewy, and he's just a bloody good bloke, and there's plenty of opportunities. And I'm like, I kind of sound a bit like that. In fact, I'm so optimistic that I met with some other English expats and they didn't even complain and we fucking love complaining like there's nothing better for an english expat to be sat in a kind of quasi-colonial bar drinking with other expats complaining about how shit the place is and like english expats like oh no it's really good here we just really like it everything's great i mean yeah i've been screwed a few times but uh it's really excellent so uh i just like hate myself for being optimistic it's it's so uncharacteristic It'll temper down eventually, but uh, for now, I have the Vietnam glow. Wow, you mm. didn't have that Vietnam glow, or did you? I thought I came back pretty enthusiastic. Not like this one. Not like Robin. No, <laughs> Robin was always a little bit excitable, you know. Like you know, he delivered those lines with you know a little bit of higher pitch in his voice than that. <laughs> mm. Um. All right. Well, that's a great little recap. Um, also when you came back, you told me that you had this great business idea, Shark Tank, but for frauds. Do you want to like talk to us about that? Cause... Yeah. So I, I can't remember who 
I was kind of going back and forth with over email or text and someone's like, oh yeah, imagine you and Carson on Shark Tank. And I think like the whole thing is, you know, they'd come in and be like, ah, that shit, that shit. I'm like, yeah, probably would. But Shark Tank for frauds, okay? Like this is an area I think we are actually uniquely qualified for, okay? We've long said that the only companies we would actually feel comfortable owning are these like group of companies that are just perennial frauds that at some point go up 10x because they promote some sort of garbage and we're like yeah that's that's kind of quite reliable like that the management team is scumbags so you know the concept i had was we'd sit there as a judging panel and people would come in and they'd be like you know look i've uh I've got this technology, it's total bullshit, but it came out of Stanford and I found some like, you know, 78 year old PhDs who've got a bunch of um, patents and there's kind of like a bubble forming over here. So I need some seed capital to go to the Roth conference. <laughs> and, you know, just to be clear, we're not accusing Roth of any wrongdoing or promotion of frauds in case you are watching this, Byron. Um, but if you do want a piece of Shark Tank for frauds, we're happy to co-mingle the two events. Um, and so, um, you know, my concept was like, people would come in and they'd get like real mentorship from us and we'd only invest in the good frauds. Like we'd pass on the things that weren't scalable, lacked imagination, had um, like too many you know, pre-existing fraudsters that'd be too easy to discover. So um, yeah, that, that was my idea. And, but like, we don't have, contrary to what many people believe about short sellers, mm. we don't actually have a track record in fraud, right? So sure. we have to compete against some pretty serious guys. I mean, like, what's your unique selling proposition versus Barry Honig? I'm not a supporter of fraud, but, you know, just theoretically, <laughs> if you were, like, what would your unique selling proposition be there? He's already been allegedly caught, Okay. That's the difference, all right? We would add the sheen of respectability. We would go long your fraud. You could be like, look, there's this short seller. They do real work. They're long my fraud. Like, that's what we would offer. Yeah, or maybe the whole thing is, it's like, you know, short sellers in general, the activist short sellers were in on this. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, you're not going to, nobody's going to come out. You know, nobody who anybody cares about is going to come out and yeah. be, you know, publicly short your thing, bro. So, uh so that that's a mm -hmm. good selling proposition so i think we would logically want to set the business up in boca raton mm -hmm. um obviously for the just tax advantages of living in frauds in, i do uh, think the, i do think i was we, about to call it <laughs> fraud Rider, but it's it's actually called florida um we do want a satellite office in utah because you know they're pretty big in that shit too that's true and um look we'll have i think some sort of direct connection to um you know a fast track listing in frankfurt or, or something along those lines if they do want to really step it up and take it to a large market cap mm -hmm. um and then i was i was also thinking we get that um hong kong brokerage the one that oh, like got a yes, 200 that, billion market right. cap on tap to do the ipos oh fuck yes absolutely yeah so, it's sounding pretty good yeah yeah so, i don't know look i i genuinely 
And, and the best part is, you know, they would be rig A plus offerings, which plus. I mean, you know, like that's the kind of thing you could tell your mother about. Like, shit, man, we do we do reg A plus offerings for frauds. Exactly. So um, focus on the A plus, not the frauds. That's the latest business idea. Um, that's actually pretty smart. I think it's pretty good. Maybe like maybe we should go pitch that on Shark Tank to like Mark Cuban, etc. And see if they'll fund that. Well, there's that um, O'Leary guy, right? Who's like the Leary, yeah. The O'Leary. Or is it O'Leary? Yeah. Yeah, like didn't the wife like kind of kill someone in a boating accident <laughs> or something along those lines? I feel like he's he's our kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like well, his wife sounds like she could be mm. if she were the one who did it. She could probably had a large multi-strat hedge fund. Yes. You know, so, she's qualified. Yeah, so, um, yeah. You're saying I think... you'd hire her? No, okay. I mean, we're not a large multi-strat hedge <laughs> yeah, fund. I'm, I mean... just, I'm just saying some are. Yeah. So, anyway, I think that it's a great idea. Um, I genuinely don't think we'd have to tell the other judges that the true purpose of it was to fund frauds, because I'm pretty sure they can't tell the difference, most of them. And so we'll be sitting there and they'll just be like, yeah, these are great business ideas. And we'll be like, yeah, these are good frauds. So I, I think we can kind of mix it up. And if we can get it past their bullshit detectors, that's also a key indicia of what the average um, buy side investor is going to think. So that's that's kind of my thinking on that. So yeah, um, very smart. Okay. Thank for frauds. Thank yeah, you very much. Smart. I mean, Actually, we, I'll, I'll have we, you know. We, we have the studio for it, so yeah. yeah. And I'll, I'll have you know, you're not the first person who's called me a smart. Edwin Dorsey once told me I was quite smart, so. Yeah, but, uh, but she's not the first person who called you Robin either, is she? <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever, oh, wow. Bruce Wayne. Um, <laughs> so that's smart, but um, totally on the other spectrum, speaking of a dumb headline, um, Carson thought Bloomberg had a dumb headline. The yeah. Other, yeah, and I wanted you to... Right, so it's like Thursday evening U.S. time, you get the alert that pops up, and Asian traders skip happy hour for Powell Jackson Hole speech. <laughs> I'm like, I know that's not going to happen like asian traders do not skip happy hour no like that's i mean like happy Never. hour especially thursday happy es hour especially an asian trader named happy <laughs> <But> <laughs> if you're watching this happy i gotta punch you in the fucking stomach too now um, why don't you fill our viewers in on that eh, but, but but emblematic of happy hour starting for happy and lots of other asian traders Pretty much every day at about noon, 1 p.m. If they're being a little bit abstemious. Yeah. So is that true? My, so my it's not my untrue. Of an Asian work week in Hong Kong, and you can probably give me a view of like Shanghai work week. But I would say, and this is the funniest thing when when banks stopped hiring foreigners, everyone's like, "Whoa." They're really fucked now. I mean, you know, just hiring local talent. I'm like, well, let's look at the increase in productivity they might get out of their workforce, okay? Um, Monday morning is a gimme. No one's really expected to be coherent on a Monday morning, especially if you've had a solid weekend. You might, if you're really, really sharp, get a few orders in before the close, and those are only people that have, like, you know, half passed out that you've seen in a nightclub on like 
the Saturday night or the early hours of Sunday morning drinking and they've kind of like stumbled to their desks in time for Monday. So Monday, gimme. Tuesday you're working. Tuesday is a pretty solid work day. You'd be making it in for the morning meeting. You'd actually be doing some work. And um, Tuesday's a full-blown work day and, and probably one of the most productive 12 hours of your entire week. Wednesday's already getting pretty close to the weekend here. And, <laughs> you know, Wednesday morning again, pretty solid work day. Um, Wednesday afternoon is quite close to Thursday. You should probably be planning something pretty good for Thursday happy hour. Which again um, starts at like right. noon or maybe one if you have to do a business lunch. Now, assuming you've met your weekly quota in the Tuesday, Wednesday window, by Thursday already, you can start to be looking to the weekend. Um, you should have some serious client drinks and dinners lined up for Thursday. Like that's absolutely essential. Friday morning, no one's expected coherent at work. It's nice if you can get to the desk and not throw up on your own keyboard. Thursday night was obviously a blowout. By Thursday night, you should have organized Friday lunch. If you're any good at your job, you should not be expected back in the office on Friday afternoon. So I think of the sum of a five week working day. It's like two and a half. It's two and a half of oh. which I think the half's questionable on oh. how sober you have to be. Uh, Friday afternoon's a complete gimme. Um, and then obviously like the weekend continues from there. What's amazing is those people were still able to actually cram enough into like a Tuesday and Wednesday to make Europeans look lazy. Like that's the best bit of all of it, right? Like these guys were still able to that's generally like, that's not hard, agreed. But you're and doing it on <laughs> two days. Two yeah. days, all right? So, you know, while Francois at Sock Gen is like sat there playing with his model for five days, You've managed to get enough client order flow in two and a half and be drunk for the rest of it. Not to mention like very heavy session on the weekend and occasionally like, you know, acknowledge that you have children or something. Um, it's pretty impressive. So I don't know how you thought about it in Shanghai, but that was certainly like a pretty solid Hong Kong sales trade at weekend. Well, Shanghai was definitely not a silver place. However, it, w it wasn't like Hong Kong where every foreigner is either banker or is in finance or in law. Mm. So there were people who had real jobs there. So they just had to, you know, kind of wait till the traffic died down. Um, but yeah, just to give you an idea, one of the, I think, quintessential moments that just encapsulated the debauchery of the expat lifestyle in Shanghai, I had to go on a Saturday um, to an emergency room and... You know, so I'm in, I'm like in my little, you know, got the curtains drawn. It's this foreign hospital out in uh, the western part of uh, Shanghai, mm -hmm. uh, a part called Hongqiao. So I'm in my thing and you can see through the crack. This guy in like a pinstripe suit, it's a Saturday afternoon, comes through, he's <laughs> in bed next to me, immediately gets belligerent with the staff. I'm going outside. I don't want, no, I don't want to, I'm going to smoke a cigarette. I'll smoke it here. No, you let me outside. And, you know, he just keeps erupting. You know, they have to calm him down. And he's obviously just fucking hammered. And, um, you know, like after three or four attempts to calm him down, like he's, you know, various reasons he's, he needs to be, you know, restrained. Doctor comes back. You know, Mr. 
so-and-so, um, if this happens again, we're going to, we're going to send you home. No, no, don't do that. My wife, she said, don't come back <laughs> till I'm sober. And she'll, she'll divorce me. I, I don't want to lose my wife. My kids, do you understand that it will ruin my life? And the guy's fucking wigging out. I was like, man, I, I just think I broke my my finger, man. Like, can I get, uh, what the fuck? So anyway, yeah, that's, I mean, that guy was so much of the expat dysfunction rolled into one that um, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing being an expat in Asia. There's this, there's this weird thing where, like, you mix with people across, like, a much wider group than you ever usually would from like much more diverse probably socioeconomic backgrounds and much more diverse in terms of ages as well so you, you know in the, in the us or the uk i think you're like unlikely to be randomly hanging out with some bitter divorced 65 year old randomly whereas in asia like quite common as a 30 year old to have that in your group and so you're getting like the weird bitter i've been out here for 10 years gone way off the reservation and so that's something you're exposed to a lot more in terms of like just how fucked well up there's there's asia and then there's indonesia and like people the guys who do expat stints there i mean yeah. if you're there for more than probably five or six years like you are incapable of re-assimilating into western society like i shit you not i mean i yeah like it's i i haven't been there but i i knew number of expats who'd done stints there i mean it it sounded like a lot of fun like one yeah. of the guys was uh he was like yeah man in in jakarta like group sex is the only sex we have like you know everybody was kind of known by their their nickname but like there's one guy who was like spider-man because he was always like you know girl against the wall and <laughs> get the hell out i should you not like he, he was telling me the story he's like you know this this one time i'm, I'm at a party and i'm looking for the bathroom and i I walk in and into this room. It's not the bathroom, but I see this chick, Sri, um, you know, kind of like going down on the dude Lars. And I'm like, oh, hey, guys, what's up? And I walk around, you know, behind Sri and I do my thing. And, you know, I was like, <laughs> the whole time, like, Lars is giving me kind of a weird look. But I'm like, bro, like, it's your problem. I leave, go down, like, you know, I find the bathroom, go find the keg. And, and uh, yeah, just, just some guy comes up and I know him. I'm like, oh, hey, man. Yeah, I just ran into Sri and Lars. And he's like, oh, you know that they've been dating a while, right? He's like, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like, apparently, you know, in Indo, if you wouldn't, you've been dating a girl for like six months. You, I guess, wouldn't protest because it's hmm. just not. Be engaged. Yeah, I mean, you might, you might give like a. <laughs> you know a strange look but you know i mean it's it's indo so there's asia and there's indo uh, i wonder if sri and lars are happily together still or not if you're watching sri or lars and what are your nicknames <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh indo's definitely different rules oh yeah i mean like i was i've had the price list for having people killed you know by policemen or military recited to me people have you know done time in indo mm. so yeah no they that's that's how business Cheaper is done than, uh, severance well, certainly for an indonesian employee to to kill a foreigner is a lot more money okay fortunately i mean it was around ten thousand, if i remember correctly okay. us um when was this yeah okay so i get your point there's inflation 
right? You know, like you can blame, you know, the Fed for that. But uh, yeah, that was, I mean, I'm, you know, probably at early 2000s. Okay. I don't know, maybe it's like 20K for yeah. a foreigner now, so. Still within reach, right? I mean, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, don't go after Adam West. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Freddie, when did you get your PhD in physics? Ha, ha, ha. So, no, I'm just... for the I mean, we, we read it in the FT, right? So Right. For... For the uninitiated, um, I was I was speaking to to Keir Cameron this week about um, this article in the FT um, to do with Keir uh, Callan of Scorpion, Scorpion um, where uh, there was a physicist who was basically saying a lot of this like quantum computing stuff is is just total bollocks, and um, you know, Keir actually <laughs> sent me a, a picture of the guy and um we have you know what some people have remarked is a remarkably similar he's not a fucking twin he doesn't he doesn't have the cheekbones but he has a remarkably similar haircut so so wait wait a second wait wait so yeah he's a he's a finance phd but i just connected two dots here remember years ago when you know my like parker pettit was still running my medics and this photo made its way around yeah. of a board meeting at my medics. And there was a dude there sitting in the chair back to the camera. But I mean, from behind looked exactly like you. Freakish, and, like right, spitting like, image, like, genuinely. Like, and like, you know, insane and jealous failed former short seller, I think believes that you were actually at that meeting because of that picture. He does. Now we know who was at the meeting, the <laughs> fucking, the fucking the Oxford physicist. <laughs> What was or, he doing in my medics? Like, he must he must be short ionic too, that bitch. <laughs> what the fuck? Like that's the guy who's gonna beat us for you know Shark Tank. That's our competition. That's true. Yeah, I mean so look, so to be fair, that photo at the My Medics meeting, it was pretty uncanny and he had like a reasonably similar build to me. And from the side I'd have been like, Oh yeah, that's kinda me. I mean, you know, Mark could have called me and been like is this you but obviously it doesn't fit his great narrative of you know mm. egomaniac weirdness i'm a failed short seller but um yeah so anyway the physicist is obviously the less qualified version of me uh and uh yeah. i don't know man so far i'm thinking he's been long my medics at the time it was going <laughs> up short ionic i don't know dude this so I, 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 I don't know I, if you've I, I, been I have following a con- this I have a con- actually con- latest okay. mimetic stuff. I, I don't know if you no. saw. So the other week, it was brought to my attention. This is genuinely fucking crazy. There's, there's this whole thing with Iyad who went on the board, um, Prescient's point, and I, I, I don't know if he's being kicked off the board or whatever, or if they opposed his director. No, this is crazy. As part of their response on Iyad, they were like, this guy is, um, you know, like, has, like, some sort of, like, minor felony or something. What? No, no, dude, it's crazy. He ordered, I want to say allegedly, but I think this actually might have not been an allegedly and actually might have been charged with it, ordered GHB, like, the date rape drug, 
on his mum's credit card. <laughs> Way back, I swear, I have to find the GHB, filing. GHB was used for more than date rape. Like there were okay. dudes, there were dudes who liked to get high on it. Okay. So, oh really? So I remember when I was in college, um, like in the early '90s, and so there was like the club in Beverly Hills was this place Tattoo T A T O U, and like people like me only heard about it when well when it stopped being the club because Billy Idol mm-hmm. OD'd on GHB outside of Tattoo. Okay. And I doubt he was trying to date rape himself. Sure. Did he buy it on his mom's credit card? <laughs> That's the part that I... Well, what I really want to know is like, how that conversation went, Hey, mom, buying some stuff online. I'm a grown man. Can I use your so credit I card? Why, like, yeah. I mean, I, I think I know why you use someone else's credit card, but those are my own thoughts. Yeah, but... Yes, but that doesn't mean... I mean, so it was originally the idea behind GHB when it was developed mm-hmm. is that it would cut down the recovery time for weightlifters and other athletes. And so they, they did clinical studies on it and they found that that's true. However, it also led to a, you know, undesirable rise in cancer among uh, people who used it. But apparently, I mean, from what I've been told, like if you use it, like you will have in just a few hours the best, most restful sleep you've ever had. You don't want to mix it with alcohol. And apparently, again, like I don't know, but if anybody's ever in convulsions caused by GHB, which was apparently like the Billy Idol issue, apparently you just like pour milk in their throat and like that, you know, like milk reverses it. Hmm. But yeah, maybe that was more of like the urban legend, you know. The other version is, oh, you just piss in their throat and, you know, like... <laughs> is that like the jellyfish thing where it's like, oh yeah, but you just pee on someone's leg? It's, it's that, but that apparently is is real. Like that you have to like, yeah, the you know, yeah, urea or whatever, like to neutralizes the the toxins from the jellyfish. It's apparently true. It's yeah. true. Look, man, it, when you think about things from an evolutionary perspective, yeah. right? Early man went into the ocean, you know, like encountered these unfortunate men of war, stung them, came out. What, no, does no, early, no. What, do, what does early man or have on him? Portuguese man of war, you're fucked. Like the toxins and all that. Like, yeah, but the, there are other, but like there are okay. other you know men Just, of war jellyfish okay. that. So, early man comes out of the water. Like the dude doesn't have a fucking yeti cooler with shit in it. He doesn't have a right. car. Early man has piss. All right. So the men, you know, for whom like piss worked and solved it. They survived. They procreated. Men who did not react properly with piss and were merely grossed out by it and didn't get better, they did not procreate. So I believe that we have evolved because that's the only thing that you brought to the beach, you know, in prehistory. All right. Well, there's only one way to find out. Next week, we'll be bringing in a jellyfish and uh, testing live. See if that works. Um. So next, Carson. The Chinese done cheating. Krista, have you have you got an edge? Because I can pee on that for you. If you, it could be a jellyfish. Let's see. Let's see it from an evolutionary perspective. You no, should be no. here. Maybe maybe Freddie and I both have to do it because no. maybe like from an evolutionary perspective, was it, one of us show, doesn't have people. the proper like no. piss. Oh. Um, and does asparagus alter that? Oh, that's a question. That's actually a good question. Or yeah. Beetroot. What's that? Or beetroot. Yeah. Beetroot. Well, yeah. 
Okay, so are the Chinese done cheating? cheating? Yes, I want to know. Yeah, Silicon Valley done inventing technology. Um, so you you must be referencing the PCAOB agreement with yes. China, yes. yeah, um, whereby China supposedly is going to allow unfettered PCAOB inspections of auditors' working papers, but in Hong Kong. <laughs> I'm sure nothing will get left behind there. And um, so number one, now they're not done cheating, right? Like I've, I've long held that this whole inspection, auditor inspection issue was really a ploy to exhaust our political will on this auditor issue without getting really to the more fundamental issues of being able to investigate and actually enforce against these companies when, when they cheat, which is you know most all of the time. The one thing, though, that's actually a key question here. Um, previously, so when when the big four affiliates in China were resisting the SEC's orders to turn over the audit working papers, the big four affiliates said, "Well, you know, we believe that this could violate China's state secrets law if we provide that to you." But see, it wasn't actually written down anywhere. This was speculative. Well, in March of 2020, a revised securities law of the PRC went into effect, and it has this Article 177. And under that article, no person or legal entity within the PRC may cooperate with an overseas with an investigation by an overseas regulator without the prior consent of the China Securities Regulatory Commission. So they basically took what was un, unwritten and they made it written rule. So here's the question. So the PCAOB, pursuant to its inspection process and calendar, may get access to the auditor working papers. And, you know, basically when there are deficiencies, I think two years after the inspection, it goes to some obscure part of the PCAOB website that no investor, you know, who's made good money in the past since the financial crisis ever goes to. And, you know, like it basically dies there. But... The question then that I have is whether the SEC now, like as it may with any other auditor pretty much, may request and receive the working papers when it's investigating an issuer, meaning company that sells stock. So that I think was unaddressed by this whole thing. So it's like, yeah, you could do your choreographed inspections. There's a calendar, there's lots of notice, but I don't think they get to actually make the investigations and make this part of the investigations. And, you know, if that's the case, I mean, you're just going to continue to have, I think, you know, near complete lawlessness in the U.S. exchanges by Chinese companies. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing this shows is for all China's, we're going to have Shanghai as this great financial center and kind of, ah, oh, we're just like big, strong one for power. They still need Western capital markets. Otherwise, they wouldn't have, even given like the kind of pretense of bending over on this stuff. I mean, we've seen all these companies do dual listings in Hong Kong. They trade like $8,000 a day versus 40 million US a day. It's kind of like a total farce. But there's there are two reasons why they want access to Western capital markets. I mean, one is the one that everybody thinks of like, oh, okay, well, the companies can raise money here. And yeah. 
But the other is, well, it's, I mean, it's your fucking money, right? right like, like all of these, <laughs> all these CCP officials, yeah. senior guys from the local, provincial, and national level, they all own real amounts of stock in these companies through proxies. But yeah, I remember after we, um, so Focus Media, we shorted that in 2011. Um, and then Carlisle Group came in and drove the getaway car to let him delist uh, in a management-led buyout. And anyway, after that happened, I remember talking to a guy I know um, who, he, he, was, he was a princeling, but he was actually a very substantive princeling. And he had dual U.S., uh, well, he, he'd become a U.S. citizen uh, as a child, went back to China, did very well. Was very Amazing well. Amazing how he was able to do very well as a princeling. Yes, was was basically very close with the Wen Jiabao's family, and uh, so he was in that Hu Wen network. And you know, smartly, once she took power and was was pretty clear what that she was trying to grab all of those patronage networks for himself, he got the fuck out of Dodge and came back to the states. So if he got back to the states, I think it was maybe 2013, 2014. Um, at probably 2014, I'm I'm talking to him for the first time in a long time, and I bring up Focus Media, and I'm like, yeah, man, that just so pissed that those guys got away with it. And he said, well, do you know why they got away with it? He's like, well, because, and he's like, no, no, no. Wen Jiabao's son, Winston Wen, or Wen Yusong, had a lot of Focus Media. And when you guys came out and shorted Focus Media, he was fucking furious. And that is why you guys lost on Focus. So, like, anyway, but I mean, I knew that, that these guys had these stakes anyway, but that was an actual example where I heard from a very good source who like, played tennis regularly with Winston Wen um, that, you know, he you know had like stock in it. Neil Shen picking the balls up. Like, that's why they had him, like, take the fall and pay a fine. I mean, of course, he's now heading Sequoia, China, and is basically co-head of the firm. I mean, that's that just says so fucking much about Sequoia and how PE and VC really works in China. But I, I just love the idea of that fat little fuck picking the balls up. It's like, you know... Prince things are just like occasionally hitting him as well. Just <laughs> you know that you did. And you go, ah, you're like, I'm sorry. Like all the shit that John McEnroe now says he was embarrassed about. Yeah. They did five X that to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and actually, I think an honorable mention should go to the chairman of Evergrande. Now that we're on the topic of China, um, some foreign bondholders have gotten together. And they are somewhat irked by the fact that Evergrande is not uh, progressing in terms of a bankruptcy process in the way that one would expect an orderly bankruptcy process to progress. And they have pitched the idea that some of his personal offshore assets might be used in order to pay them back. And I'm just thinking of like the scene from... Um, uh, Team America, where like you know you got the little like uh huh stop breaking my balls Hans Bakes like <laughs> like just imagining like I don't know for sure that the chairman of Evergrande like does look or sound like that 
But like I'm imagining that proposal coming across. He's like, hey, you damn worse than bondholders. Hey. I mean, that's got to be one of the fucking dumbest ideas. I mean, imagine pitching that to your PM. Yeah, hey man, like, look, they're trading at like four cents on the dollar, but we really think the chairman's gonna, you know, take us out at six. Like, <laughs> fucking out of your mind. So anyway, I, I just think that's a nice conclusion to the sad story that is Evergrande defaulting. Yeah, well, I'm sure it's not the conclusion. But no, it's not. It's it's like the Lord of the Rings movie, like every, you know, sitting there in theater, like, oh, so, god damn it. It's, Oh, God damn it. So, yeah, that's how I think Evergrande will mm -hmm. be. It'll be the Chinese Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. movie. Now on Bed Bath & Beyond, or after Bed Bath & Beyond, are the Gingers taking over Binance? I want to know from you. Two things. Firstly, excellent point. There are no Gingers in China, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and are the Gingers taking over finance? Well, they, they, look... When Sworn went, Sworn went to Japan, you would have thought there were no gingers in Japan. Very well be gingers in China. I doubt it. I mean, I bet, I, I bet they would be more discriminated against in China than they are in the U.S. Not as discriminated as they were as like a 13-year-old boy growing up in the U.K. I got to tell you, that was, that was an unpleasant time to be a ginger, even though there are more of them. I mean, you weren't a ginger. Sounded, no, no, that, I, I was. That sounded I was, a little too personal. No, no, no. I, know. I was not a ginger. Robin I, was not a ginger. But I knew some, and they got a hard fucking time as kids. Trust me. Um, so um, this Jake Friedman character turns out raised like twenty-seven million dollars from some friends and family, and punted it all in Bed Bath and Beyond. I, I mean, I think his family was the professional investors yes. meaning yes. yeah it's like if, uh, they, if they allocated 27 million to bed bath and beyond i mean they're i'm not gonna believe that that was a north of five percent allocation for them so look i i think it's i think it's good that you know the gingers are getting out there and that um you know including sarah and this is becoming a bigger thing and people are seeing them in a more positive light. Um, although admittedly, this guy is pretty media shy. I do also wonder if the picture the FT used was like the least flattering picture. Cause I mean, his hair is bright orange. I mean, Sauron to his credit is kind of more strawberry blonde. Well, that's the gray working its way <laughs> in. I mean, just. Yeah, I mean, that again, another yeah, difference. It's a, I mean, He's a short I seller. That guy gets just go long garbage. I mean, once again, which is a better business? How much ass do you think he's gotten since that headline? A yeah. lot. A lot. Yeah, maybe even more than the football players at USC. Yeah, and he's not going to have to deal with CTE either. So that's a double bonus for that guy. <laughs> You know, like, I think CTE would make it easier to go along Bed Bath & Beyond, but, you know. <laughs> well, look, the, the whole thing with Bed Bath & Beyond that's really interesting is, like, what the fuck is Ryan Cohen doing? Like, it looks like there are a bunch of strangely timed securities filings, which look kind of vague. I, I honestly haven't dug into the actual details to see if he was you know, being slightly economical with the truth or misleading, or if it was just like, look, I got fucking lucky and these idiots think I'm smart. And so 
yeah, I'm going to use that and dump the stock. I, I genuinely haven't dug into the details to work it out. But... Okay, so, so there are the things that trouble me mm-hmm. about this, and then there are the things that I think he's okay on. Mm-hmm. So he bought 9.8% of Bed Bath & Beyond in February of 2022. Now, Bed Bath & Beyond was, because of course every near-bankrupt company does, buying back shares. Mm-hmm. So... February 28th, Bed Bath & Beyond filed how much they'd bought back. And then they bought back some more, but not, not as much. But eventually, Ryan Cohen was, I think, a, uh, I think it was like 11 or 12, I think mm-hmm. 11.8% shareholder, even though he hadn't bought any more right. shares. It's just because Bed Bath & Beyond shrank the shares outstanding through their buybacks. So that was a reportable event as of April, I believe. And you have, once, once you be cross 10%, you have to file a Form 3 that identifies you as an insider. And so I think that he needed to have filed that in April. Now, stock continued to sink. He was underwater. And then you got this paroxysm of meme stock retardation that we've been dealing with ever since Joe Manchin because he is the center of all that is bad and evil in this world now. Um, So ever since roughly then, like the meme stocks have been going back up. So then Ryan Cohen on a Monday, he files the form three saying, okay, I'm over 10%. Then he files, he refiles his form 13D, which is what he filed when he initially acquired 9.8% because that's what an activist files. So he files the 13D no change in any share counts. And he also had previously, at the, you know, when he, with his previous form, he had bought a bunch of options. So now he files that and it shows these options that are the call options that are way out of the money. So all these meme stock guys are thinking like, oh, gamma squeeze, um, apparently, and they buy up the stock. Then he files a form 144 saying that he's going to sell stock. And over the next two days, he just dumps his stock. Now, the question is, was, was anything there manipulative? Um, no, I mean, the lawyer probably would have advised him. It could have been a good faith reason he didn't file the Form mm-hmm. 3, right? Like, you didn't realize, you didn't buy more stock. Right. You don't know that you just went over 10%. Um, I think that's very plausible. That's, I think that's very plausible. They're like, listen, you're going to file a 144. You know, you should file this now. Was that advantageous? to his holding, yes, it appears to have been. But, so that thing, I don't think there's an issue. However, right after he he finished selling, it broke that Bed Bath & Beyond had engaged Kirkland and Ellis to advise on restructuring debt, and that some suppliers had stopped supplying Bed Bath & Beyond because of concerns over liquidity and, and credit worthiness. So, Ryan Cohn was not on the board, but he had appointed three directors to the board. And also the CFO sold at the same time Ryan Cohen did, and he certainly would have known about the appointment. So that is what looks really funky. Now, if you're Ryan Cohen and the SEC asks you, because you see once this news hit, Mr. Cohen, the stock took a shit. It, you know, it hit after hours. Stock took a shit after hours. Next trading day, it opened stock, you know, was way down. And so what would Ryan Cohen say? No, that wasn't material non-public information. Uh, was, it wasn't material. The reason the stock was down is because I sold. 
And so then that kind of does point everybody back toward the you know so the thirteen the thirteen D filing and the form three filing and like well if you can influence you know if your if your filings and actions can influence the price of the stock then why did you file those forms just before you sold the stock so I think that puts him into a potentially precarious situation now the final thing that he could say is I actually didn't know about the restructuring advisors mm -hmm. and this and that. But the CFO, what the fuck's the CFO going to say? CFO is going to be like, look, that was a whistleblower that's just come out of uh, nowhere. And it turns out there were tons of bots buying towels. And I, I just had, like, I need to get the fuck out of this thing and, like, whatever. Because, I mean, that seems to be the way that you wriggle your way out of trouble these days. Yeah. And, you know, and then, like, but to go back to your original question, I mean... You know, is, is Ryan Cohen Batman and this, you know, ginger guy Robin? I don't know. Quite likely. Quite, you know. Because otherwise, he's one lucky Robin. And he's even the right color. <laughs> I, I have to apologize to all the gingers who are watching this. I don't apologize to any gingers who are not watching this because, you know, fuck you, you should watch. <laughs> um, is there anything else? A lot of news out of Europe. Um, is the ECB on your mind? Is the ECB on my mind? Yeah. No, when I think Europe, I think about this New York Post headline I saw last week um, about an Italian guy who same day was diagnosed with um, this, right? with, with oh, yeah. uh, COVID, monkeypox, and HIV. Supposedly he was Italian, yeah. Same day. It, it didn't say allegedly Italian. I just want to let you know that. Whatever. There are paisans of yours who, you know, kind of, you know, who party. Well, you know what? Let's talk about Italian and quite specifically Italian salad dressing. So um, yesterday we're going to go for lunch and Chris is like, oh, yeah, I'm uh, going to bring my salad dressing with. And I'm like, OK, it's fucking embarrassing and kind of weird. But then we raise the point of like, actually, in some restaurants, you know, you can bring your own wine, and there's a corkage fee. And so what about the concept of a salad corkage fee? Because actually at that very restaurant, you ordered like the Cobb salad. This is what we talk about at lunch. Yeah, is... uh, I mean, let's not pretend They're it's exhausting. just at lunch. Um, you know, it kind of made me think, like, there you are, you order the Cobb salad, like, you know, apparently you want to live longer, so you're watching your weight and all that stuff. Um, Oh, me? And, yeah, no, no, no. Krista doesn't want to live longer. No, no, spending like, I, time with us, she doesn't want to live longer. But it was interesting. So you were like, oh, I don't want the Cobb salad dressing. I want, like, something else. And I was like, well, Listen. we've just taken the piss out of Krista for bringing her own salad dressing. That's but crazy. maybe this is a broader audience than, like, we've really been thinking. So we have been discussing, the like, opening a restaurant here, maybe. I mean, we discussed it once and... I might have underestimated the cost of the build out, but we're going to see about that. Um, but I'm thinking if we do end up opening a restaurant, should we have like a salad dressing corkage fee where people can bring their own salad dressing? Well, I mean, one, I don't feel like it would be that popular in Texas. So, but, but our whole thing, I mean, look, when you wanted to bring that salad dressing to the Capitol grill yeah, uh, and you're like, hey, would this be tacky? Yeah. 
and it would be kind of embarrassing. Because I but thought we, I was working but, for guys who but, don't give a fuck. But we, but we suggested that you put it in a flask. <laughs> but it's just in this big plastic bottle. It's not even a glass bottle. Yeah. Like how, how embarrassing would that be? No, it's plastic. Oh, it's a plastic, plastic? bottle. Which also, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking the dioxins leach into, from the plastic, leach into the canola oil. Mm -hmm. So, Uh, I I can't even, I I got a friend who's all into that, like, plastic, ruining your sperm count, like, whole thing. It's his name Carson? No, it's it's another, I mean, he has two kids, it's irrelevant now, but, uh, I mean, this guy's younger and he's, he's all about, like, plastics and soy and lubes and all kinds of weird jordan peterson shit like we don't even want to go there i mean he this guy is definitely pro tanning your balls right like you you know about this right the the sun tanning your balls the tucker carlson thing right yeah yeah so like well sperm counts in america have declined that part's true Yes. You know, that whether that means that, you know, you need to vote Republican to cure this is, I think, questionable science. But um, but Tucker so. Carlson would have you believe that that's exactly. what needs to happen. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man, but I, I just want to address what I feel like is a dig at my choice of a salad. And I just got to say, you know, the older generation of short sellers, they believe in lap bands. At least some of them do. I'm more of a, you know, natural, you got to just eat less and, Dude, you know, and not and not do I, the smash and grab I, equivalent I, of losing weight by, <laughs> by just like, you know, investing in a lap band. It's not going to make you any happier living longer. Okay. Just, just remember that. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I might, if I live long enough, I'll be able to swim in Sonoma County in the ocean. So, <laughs> yeah. Might make me happier, man. Like, I always wanted to live at the beach. Like, a vineyard was kind of, you know, like, it, it was kind of a consolation prize to beachfront. Okay. Well, Batman, Robin, <laughs> this has been another great VFG podcast. Hotcast? Hotcast. Hotcast, yeah. Oh, that really does sound like hotcast. I didn't say that. Yeah. But that's just my accent. Anything else? Where uh, where in the world are you from again? Nueva York. Joy Z. Um. It has been another great CFG. So. It has been. It really has been. All right. Well, yeah. We'll toast the the unopened. I got fail and set sail. Okay. I had a smash and grab. All right. Cheers. Cheers.